Hi, friends. Happy summer. Welcome to another episode of That Sounds Fun. I'm your host, Annie F. Downs, and we are about to have a good time. Y'all, this is officially the start of our Ennea summer. What do I mean? Well, listen to the music in the background. It is from our good friend, Mr. Ryan O'Neill, also known as Sleeping at Last, who has actually done an entire series, songs one through nine, about the different Enneagram numbers. You guys know I love the Enneagram. And as I've talked about it, you guys have a lot of questions. If it's new to you, if it is something that you're just starting to explore, or if you just want to learn more. And the other thing you guys keep asking me for is having some people on the podcast that are my real life friends that maybe aren't well known, aren't famous or whatever, that are just like friends of ours. And so for the month of June, here's what it's going to look like. Today will be a kind of an intro episode for all of us with Suzanne Stabile, co-author of The Road Back to You and author of The Path Between Us. Both incredibly helpful, really useful books about learning and understanding the Enneagram and how it can better us in relationship with ourselves and God and other people. So today we have Suzanne on the show. And then starting on Thursday and every show between now and the end of the month, we will be featuring a different Enneagram number. So on Thursday will be the ones, next Monday, the twos, next Thursday, the threes, et cetera, all the way down to the nines. On the week that your show releases, for the number you connect with the most and self-identify the most, you're going to love hearing from people who think just like you. And for the other eight shows, I think it's going to make us more loving and sympathetic and excited about the other types. As we have recorded these and had these conversations already, we're through some of them They have made me laugh and cry and broken my heart in places and just made me so thankful that God made us all so different. It is really, really special. But today we're going to kick it off. This is kind of our 101 class. If you're new to the podcast, we do have a couple of past episodes about the Enneagram. We have one with Beth McCord and one Christmas one a couple of years ago with Seth Abram about what Christmas gifts to give to people based on their Enneagram type. And so there are a couple you can go back and listen to, but today Suzanne is going to kind of lay a foundation for us of why the Enneagram matters, why we like it, why it's fun. And if you have some friends that you know love talking Enneagram or you wish they'd talk Enneagram with you, this is the episode to share with them. So here is my conversation with our friend and Enneagram expert, author and speaker, Suzanne Stabile. Suzanne, thank you so much for being on the show with me today. I'm really looking forward to it. We had such a good time last time we were together. Oh my gracious. You cannot imagine. I mean, I I don't know a lot of podcasts I've done that I've had a response, like I had a response to being on your show. So fun. That makes me very happy. We had a big response too. And I, I think so much of it has to do with whatever it is that creates the comfort that we have with each other. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm really grateful. Um, I just think it is it was really special. And I learned a ton. Even my mom, my mom texted me and was like, I feel like I learned a lot about you on this podcast with Suzanne Stabile. <laughs> Maybe like, we should do that. Maybe we should promote it to the mothers of our guests. Right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I do think it's really interesting because where do you land on Enneagram being nature versus nurture or a combination of the two? Well, you know, when I first started teaching, which admittedly was a long time ago, 26 or seven years ago. Um, the standard response from Enneagram folk who really knew what they were doing was, you know, it's part genetic and part environmental. 
And uh, most people were good with that in the generation prior to yours. Uh But uh, you guys asked different questions. And so uh, once you came on the scene, uh, you started saying things like, which part? And how much of a part? And is that 50-50? And how do you know that? And so since I've raised four children and you're you're in the age range of my four, those questions got to be really important to me. And at the same time, uh, Joe and I started uh, receiving these nine grandchildren that we have. Luckily, I was with all of them within a half hour of their birth. So they all live here. I've gotten to just sit back and watch them. So that's a big piece. This, the second thing that changed my answer is that I uh, ended up with an opportunity to deal with a lot of people just, you, you know, in, in my work across the country who had experienced trauma. And I also started working in the recovery community. And it was clear to me that trauma did not cause a number change. Okay. What happens in trauma is you just go deeper in your own number. And so you kind of have to climb out from an unhealthy or an excess place in your number. You just have a longer journey to get to average and healthy if you've experienced trauma. And at the same time, I started working in the adoption community a little bit. Um, I think you probably know that I don't work with children until they're 17, which is a year down from what it used to be. But I do some work in post-adoptive communities because I'm adopted. And in working with those kiddos, I, again, found out that the reality of adoption, uh, those who were adopted out of the foster care system, if I walk them back, they know exactly who they were before they started experiencing so much angst. And finally, I have for a period of six years worked with veterans. Okay. And it was clear after some work with veterans that they were their core number and that the changes that occurred to them that occurred in their lives and that surrounded their behavior came after deployment. Oh, wow. Yeah. So the gift I had in the, in the um, veteran community was I could take them from their stress number and walk them back to their core number. And then their families recognized who they were again. And veterans found a great deal of comfort in that because they understood their motivation as being effective in that way. So with all of that, I landed on, I absolutely think that it's primarily genetic predisposition and environment then determines how you behave in your number, not what number you are. That is very profound to me. Even as I think about my own number and my own family of feeling, um, like I was born this way. <laughs> I like that idea. I like that I was born this way and that my life has has shaped me healthier or more unhealthy based on experience. Sure. And so uh, all sevens then who are born genetically predisposed to be sevens are going to fall in a wide range of sevenness because of the environment they're in. Mm-hmm. But it's not going to change their motivation and it's not going to change how they see Back us up just a little bit. As you're the first of our Enneagram Summer, our Ennea Summer podcast episodes, 
there are so many people when I talk about it for starters, I think I told you this, Suzanne, a lot of people at first thought I was saying Enneagram, like I had created my own (laughs) scoring of humans, but it's Enneagram. Can you just kind of lay a foundation for us, for anybody who's new to this particular system, I guess you probably even have a better word than that, but what, what is the Enneagram? All right. Well, so my word that I try to use instead of system is wisdom. You know, it's thousands of years old. And Ania Graham really is just Greek for nine points. Okay. So it just has to do with literally an Enneagram, not with some word that people created that represents something else. And I've been asked for years for an elevator speech. The only thing I've got is... If the elevator gets stopped between two floors for a period of time, I think I can really explain to people what I do. (laughs) But in the absence of that, I have learned to say that the Enneagram is nine ways of seeing. And you can never change how you see. All you can do is change what you do with how you see. And the nine numbers could have been colors, It could have been trees. It could have been flowers. It could have been any number of things. It just happens to be numbers. And certainly one is not better than nine, nor is it true the other way around. And the thing that I find to be different about this wisdom that has become part of a whole gathering of opportunities to learn about your personality, all of which I think have something to offer. The difference in the Enneagram and the others is that it shows you at exactly the same time that thing that you do over and over that you don't want to do anymore and a way to stop doing it. Or it shows you over and over ineffective behavior and a way to stop doing that. I know I'm an extrovert. I know I'm a feeling type, right? I I needed to know what to do with that because sometimes being an extrovert gets me in trouble. Mm-hmm. And sometimes mm-hmm. being a feeling type means that I'm really limited. And I wanted um, something that defined me in a way that I could relate to it, that gave me room for an unending amount of growth, that At the same time, and maybe the greatest gift of the Enneagram after self-knowledge is compassion that comes from awareness of other numbers. Oh, it breaks my heart. I mean, I listened to some of Ryan O'Neill's songs that he's written, the Sleeping at Last songs, and I will listen to another number and think of my friends who are feeling those things, and it'll just make me cry. And, you know, when I get a room full of people together, you know well that I'm not a fan of the tests or the... Right. Good. Yes. I wanted you to talk about this. Yep. Yeah. And I, I just haven't backed up from that. And I, it takes me eight hours to teach a Know Your Number workshop and I'm going to stick with that. And lots of people offer me lots of incentive to teach it in four hours. Right. And my answer is no, it's just too valuable to not do well. Because you believe that the best way to find your number is how it's not taking a test necessarily? Well, it's not taking a test, period. Mm -hmm. Your Enneagram number is determined by motivation and not by behavior. Because we could all behave the same. We could see nine people of each, one of each number do the exact same behavior, but what makes them different 
And what makes them understand their Enneagram number is why they did it, not what they did. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And it's very difficult to measure that, right? In a test, in questions. It's, um, I think it's impossible, frankly. And I think the best test is the Rizzo and Hudson test, the 140 long form test. And uh, our experience with that test in our Institute for Spiritual Formation over a number of years and hundreds of people was that once people heard the Enneagram taught orally, then they found themselves. So I think narrative tradition is important. Narrative teaching is important. And an opportunity to hear nuance in how you're like other people and how you're different. Yes. I, it may have been you who said this to me, Suzanne, but we, I was talking with someone and about, it was about, you know, as a seven, I can, there's so many different shades of the color. It's like going into Home Depot and saying, I'm going to get blue paint. Well, you could get baby blue or navy blue. That's right. And they're still both blue. So you may, I'm not going to look like every other seven on the whole planet, but we're all going to be a shade of blue. And you're all going to be motivated by a desire to have your needs met, by uh, the inability to operate without knowledge and understanding and a little help with a full range of emotions. You're going to kind of stay in a half range of emotions. And, and that takes on so many different things. So I, it's interesting to me because people frequently ask me in interviews, people not like you, but people who don't know anything about the Enneagram. And one of the things that they say is it's so reductive. And actually, it's not reductive. We turn it into something that could be considered reductive when we limit opportunities for how we learn to recognize ourselves. Mm -hmm. There are some of our friends who are listening who are saying, well, yeah, it kind of looks like the pentagram. And I've read that there's some demonic stuff in the background of it. I get, I get a message probably once a month from someone on email or on Instagram who will say, you should be careful with the Enneagram. It, it originated in a really bad place. Can you clear that up for everybody? I can try. (laughs) Not everybody wants that cleared up. So, you know, some people are pretty steeped in this, what I think, and I'm going to stay right here. But the reality is that the Enneagram has history in all faith beliefs or something very similar to it. It is uh, known to be associated with Sufis, but it's also known to be associated with early Christians and with the desert mothers and fathers. And our brothers and sisters who are Jewish have a very similar system to the Enneagram. So there is a a wide range of gathering of information over hundreds of years from the notes of people who somehow encountered the Enneagram. And nothing was actually published until the early to mid-1970s. Prior to that, For several thousand years, it was handed down as oral tradition. Enneagram masters back in those days would only teach you your number. They wouldn't teach you the other eight. There's nothing you can do about the other eight ways of seeing. You can only really do something about yourself. So that didn't seem to be something that they found to be necessary. The true origin of the Enneagram is unknown. 
And we don't live with mystery very well. I do not live with mystery very well, Suzanne. <laughs> is that a, is that everybody feel that way, or is that more of a? Am I more prone to that as a seven? I don't think you're more prone. You might be less prone, really, as oh, a seven. Okay. Here's what I think is that the church, and you know, I'm Christian and I'm United Methodist, so I'm talking about not just my way of seeing, but the the whole church. I think has not taught us to live with mystery. And that's, I believe, a mistake because paradox is mystery. Everything contains its opposite and that's mystery. And when we're not taught to embrace that there are some things that are true that we can't explain, then I think there are certain numbers that push back against those things. It's a concept my counselor brings up a lot of me embracing mystery and letting go of control. But as I've gotten healthier, mystery has become more of a, a little bit easier for me. So maybe it's everybody as they pursue health walks toward embracing that a little bit more. Absolutely. And, and I think it has to do with allowing and accepting, Mm. which are the two things that I really try to work with to get beyond my desire to be in control or the illusion that I am in control in some way. That has to come in so um, important and so handy when you're working with people in recovery. You know, they've taught me an awful lot. (laughs) I have learned so much from, um, I guess, every recovery community that I've taught or sat with or um, asked to teach me. I think the Enneagram offers us an opportunity to uh, observe ourselves non-judgmentally and to forgive what we see. Oh, that's really good. So, you know, as Christians, you and I uh, are aware of Paul's teaching, which is, why do I do the very thing I don't want to do over and over and over and over again? And I believe your Enneagram number is the reason. Yes, I, I will tell I have never understood my motivations better than as I've continued to learn about myself through the lens of the Enneagram. Because when I start to do something, I go, I know exactly why I'm doing this. Because I feel this or because I lack here or because I'm trying to answer this question. Whereas maybe 10 years ago, I would have gone, I am so mad at myself for doing this again. Why can't you be more self-controlled? Exactly, exactly. Why can't I control this? And you know what happens when you try to control allowing your personality to fall away is you use your personality and then it just gets bigger instead of smaller. Right. You know, we, we were, uh, before we started adding personality as, uh, children based on wounding, which happens to every child before we started adding on these layers of personality that we then can compile into an understanding of one way of seeing we're all closer to essence, closer to who we were created to be. I think midlife necessarily brings with it an inability to keep doing what you've always done. So, you know, I'm a two, so I'm a big helper. There just came a time for me when I didn't have the energy or the desire to help everybody all the time. It just stopped in you, but out of pure age? Yes. Age and stage in life and, uh, understanding of ideas that are bigger than how I see my little world. But to try to make myself stop being helpful required personality. And to allow myself 
to ask questions like, you know, that one of the defining questions of my life is, what is mine to do? Right. And once I started asking, what is mine to do? Then you have to allow that answer to come. Otherwise, it just comes from personality instead of from the essence that is you, which is beneath your personality. You know, when you you meet old, old people who are wise and patient and at peace, there's very little personality there. That's all essence. Okay. They've stopped covering up who they really are with what they, the performance they feel like they're supposed to do. Exactly. And that's the, that's different than older folks who say, this is just who I am and I can't change it. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. a different energy. And I'm not talking about that. That's right. It's, it feels like a difference between peace and anger or something. (laughs) Exactly. And it's about allowing instead of controlling. So for our friends who are listening that, that maybe they are just new to this Enneagram journey. And I, I know that's like a Christian word, but it, that is what it has felt like for me is that, is that I've, the more I've understood the Enneagram, the, the deeper I've gotten into the journey of it. Why should they even start this? What, how does this benefit your life to even know your Enneagram number? I get asked that question a lot and I've thought a lot about how I should answer it. And I've, I've tried on all kinds of things, <laughs> but I'm, I keep landing right here. Because it changes your life. How did it change your life once you understood your number? I um, began to recognize that no as an answer is equal to yes. I learned that when I do the things that are not mine to do so that people will want me and so that people will love me, I am uh, keeping somebody else from honoring what they're called to do. Or what is theirs to do? I'll give you an example of that because it, I, I think it's easy to relate to, particularly for my generation and for yours from a different perspective. So the one thing, as an adopted girl, uh, most of us as children believe that as soon as we have our own babies, we'll be whole in some way. Mm-hmm. And so I was very anxious to be a mother all of my life, and. My children, you know, I have four of them, and they range in age now from 31 to 40. But you could ask any of them, and they would tell you that I mothered them well. I was all about being a mother. And so my children uh, intuitively expected that I would be a hands-on grandmother who would be available most of the time to stop what I was doing if they needed help with their children or if. They needed to go to work and one of their kids was sick. And by the time I had grandchildren, I had heard enough people my age complain about babysitting with their grandchildren. Oh, wow. And I thought, I'm never going to do that. I, I'm not going to do that. And the second thing that happened is my career really took off about uh, the time I had my first grandchild. Okay. And I think the reason for that is because I stayed home with my children. Oh, and sure. I, right. And I did, I did that as well as I could. And Joe and I created as wide a world as we could for our kiddos. Mm-hmm. So my two oldest are girls. And when I um, said to them, I love you. I'm so excited about being a grandmother. I also said, uh, but you need to know that um, I'm not going to babysit. I'm going to be with the children when I want to, not when you need me to. 
And that doesn't mean that I'm not available for emergencies and things like that, but I'm, I'm just not going to do it. I'm going to follow now some of my own dreams. And um, it was rough at first. It wasn't expected and it was tricky. But my my girls both have mother-in-laws who live here too. Okay. And my girls and I are so close, they would have come to me. And one one result of my not babysitting is that my grandchildren's other grandmothers got to have a lot of time with their son's children, which often doesn't happen. It's just one thing. Right. But it's a big thing because now my kiddos know well for grandparents, not to. Right? That was my life too. My grandparents were all in the same town I grew up in. The second thing is I'm a pastor's wife and I'm not suited for that. In my heart and in my uh, spiritual journey, Mm -hmm. I'm well suited, but personality wise, not so much. Knowing the Enneagram really gave me uh, a place to stand to be my own person instead of uh, who the church would consider to be the right pastor's wife doing the right things, right? So those are two pretty deep examples, but I, I think the deep ones have far more to teach than the, than the others. And the Enneagram taught me that I could change my behavior in a way that wouldn't change the world. Like I could make slow, thoughtful changes in the way I respond to life and not lose relationships and not behave inappropriately, but be much more whole and much more content inside myself. Why do you think that self-reflection like that and self-awareness is important for Christians? Uh, Because I think denominationally, Uh, we've been taught that a Christian looks and behaves a certain way. Mm. And I certainly think that puts a big limit on uh, what God has created. I think we have pseudo compassion for one another, but I think really we, we have more judgment than compassion. And I think the Enneagram uh, addresses that by offering us ways to uh, understand other people better. So I think what I started to say earlier and didn't finish was that when I teach a Know Your Number workshop, um, which is eight hours, at the beginning of the day I say, I can't guarantee that you're going to know your number when you leave. Uh, That's not a guarantee that I make. My percentage rate for that happening is very high, but that's not not a guarantee. I can guarantee that you'll be more compassionate. Wow. Okay. And don't you think that's kind of what we're lacking as Christians is compassion for one another and for, and for others who are beyond uh, yes. our doors? That You set me up beautifully, Suzanne, because that was the next question I wanted to ask you is, is why is it important for us to learn the other numbers, not just our own? What do we need to be listening for when we're learning the other numbers, especially as we do this series where for the next nine shows— People are really only going to hear them their own number once, but the other eight really matter to me. Why, why should we pay attention to the other numbers as well? Well, that's a new gift that we have, um, which I'm very thankful for. And, you know, until the 1970s, if, if all you were taught by somebody who knew the Enneagram was your own number, then 
other people were still a mystery. I, I, there's two sides to everything as, as I see the world. And now that we have access to the other eight numbers, um, one side is that we really get it, that we're mm-hmm. all much, much more different than we thought. The downside is that sometimes we have a, an inclination mm-hmm. or a natural tendency to want to learn the other numbers so we can help them be better people. And that's not the purpose. No. <laughs> but I tell you, um, my children are all for a different number. If you know that, then in raising your children, you understand that the same things that worked for the first one isn't, isn't necessarily going to work for the second one mm-hmm. or the third or the fourth. And in recovery rooms, I learned that every expectation is resentment waiting to happen. Mm. And I think the Enneagram uh, understanding and knowing the other numbers lowers our expectation for how other people are going to behave or for how they're going to respond. I also think that it's a game changer in terms of discussion from different points of view. My husband happens to be a number that looks very much like my number. So he's a nine and I'm a two. And from the outside, we look an awful lot alike and we're not. Yeah, and a lot of Christian women get confused between their nineness or their two-ness, it seems. And between their sixness and their two-ness. Okay. And that's particularly true in my generation. Okay. If I do a women's retreat for 150 women, probably 40 will identify as twos on the Enneagram. And 10 or 12 might be twos, but the rest of those women are sixes. Oh, interesting. Yeah. They just bought into the two narrative of how they're supposed to be in the world. Right. How a woman is supposed to behave in the world. Particularly a Christian woman. That's right. Twos just fit that. Except when they don't. Right. (laughs) Okay. Sorry. Keep going on you and your husband. Well, so um, one of the stories I like to tell is we we asked to be... uh, appointed in the Methodist church, pastors are only appointed for one year at a time. And I was raised in a small town in the panhandle of Texas. And Joe really loves horses and all things having to do with nature. And so we asked to be uh, appointed if possible. And if it was a good use of his gifts to what we call town and country ministry, meaning to a rural church. And um, we had that for three years. And it was, um, it was good in so, so many ways. But there, w- there wasn't a place there for us to get a lot of things we needed. So once a week, we would drive 40 miles to the, the closest Walmart and place to eat out that wasn't Mexican food or pizza and a grocery store that had more than the basics, right? Right. And Every time we went, that was the only time we ever ate out. And every time we went, we would vote on where we were going to go to dinner. And Joe loves barbecue. He always chooses barbecue. And I like a wide variety of things. And the children always wanted pizza. <laughs> so Pizza is a universal Enneagram number connector. Everybody's going to That's like exactly right. That's <laughs> it. So every time we went, as soon as the vote came in, we went for pizza. And here's the key. First of all, we were the adults. We didn't have to let the children vote. Joe let the children vote because he's conflict avoidant. And he just didn't want any conflict. Mm -hmm. I let the children vote because I wanted to be the coolest mom 
and I wanted them to love how I gave them that freedom. Once we got to the pizza place, Joe is a nine and nines merge with the agendas of other people. So by the time we get there, Joe's fine with pizza and he's decided what kind he's going to have and he's happy as he can be. I don't merge. So I have to adapt. So there's for twos, this little bit of martyring that goes with, I gave up what I wanted so you could have what you wanted. Mm. So from the outside, we look exactly the same. And what's happening inside of us is completely different. And so for us to learn these other numbers helps us to understand even deeper why some of our friends or spouses or children are doing what they're doing and help them almost walk, walk in compassion more than we would have before. So you feel sure you know that the United Methodist Church right now is in a, a great dilemma and there's a chance that we'll split trying to answer questions about marriage and ordination mm-hmm. for our brothers and sisters in the LGBTQ community. I believe if I could, this sounds so arrogant, if you want to take it out, please do. <laughs> no way. But I believe if I could get in rooms with people who are so polarized around that mm-hmm. and teach the Enneagram, I think we could come up with different solutions. Mm. I'm so hopeful because of the new interest in the Enneagram. You know, Annie, my audience, the average age of my audience has dropped 20 to 25 years in the last, yeah, in the last two or three years. That's amazing. It is amazing. And it's very exciting for me because um, I've always known and gotten to observe how this wisdom affected my adult children and how they do life. And it's so interesting because older people in those rooms where, you know, I teach all over the country, Mm -hmm. but older people in those rooms say to the young ones, man, I wish I'd known this when I was your age. It would mean I wasn't separated from my daughter. It would mean that my marriage would have had more peace. It would mean that I could have made peace with my father or my mother before they died. Those are the kinds of things I hear. We're going to interrupt this conversation with Suzanne real quick to tell you about our friends over at Rothy's. Y'all, Rothy's shoes are stylish, sustainable, and comfortable enough for everyday wear anywhere. Y'all probably heard me talk about them before. They make really beautiful shoes for women and girls, but they make them out of plastic water bottles. They're insanely comfortable and machine washable. I have a pink pair of the pointy ones that are really bright pink, and I love them so much. They really are incredibly comfortable. They are the everyday flats for life on the go. They're so versatile and really cute. And they come in a wide range of colors and patterns. They're available in four different silhouettes, plus they're constantly launching new styles. So you're guaranteed to find a pair or like 11 that you love, like I have. They have like playful designs that adds a pop of color to every outfit while still looking polished and professional. And since they're seamlessly crafted from recycled water bottles, they're incredibly comfortable as soon as you slip them on so that you don't have to do that like break-in period that it just like will ruin your life. I know. There's always free shipping and free returns or exchanges with no risk, no worries, and no reason not to try, you guys. It will blow your mind that they're made from recycled plastic water bottles. In fact, 
Rothy's has diverted over 25 million water bottles from landfills, y'all. That is insane. And here's a great thing that my sister told me the day that I got my Rothy's, she already had a pair, is how much she loves that they're machine washable. And I love that too, that you can just toss them in there and they will get all clean. It's like you have a brand new pair of shoes. Check out all their amazing styles available right now at rothys.com slash sounds fun. That's R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash sounds fun to get your new favorite flats. So for people who are raising kids and for people in our lives that are not Enneagram, talk about the dangers of typing other people a little bit and when it can be helpful. Is there ever a right time to think, yeah, my son's definitely a four. I need to operate out of that. Or how do we handle that as we're learning more about Enneagram this summer? I'm kind of in a new place about that. And actually my uh, children got me there. My oldest daughter, Joey, and her husband, Billy, are doing quite a bit of teaching. They did an apprentice program with me, and they've been in the room when I've been teaching for years. And this is deep Enneagram work, so I I don't know. Just keep asking me questions if you need to so that that language is accessible for everybody. But I'm going to back up a little so this makes sense. One of the things that is a reality is that we have three centers of intelligence and they are thinking, feeling, and doing. And everybody has all three of those. Everybody is thinking, feeling, and doing. Everybody has all three. However, one of the three is dominant for everybody and one supports the dominant for everybody. And by the age of 11, one is repressed for everybody. So what that means in my particular case, so we'll talk just about my number, and then we'll talk about yours. Uh, as a two, I'm feeling dominant. So I take in information from the world with feelings. And then I respond or I process or make sense of the information that I've taken in with what am I going to do? That's normal behavior for me. Since between the ages of eight and 11, I don't use productive thinking very much. So it's repressed for me. Okay. So I spend a lot of time in life thinking and doing and thinking and doing and thinking and doing. I mean, feeling and doing, feeling and doing, feeling and doing. Sorry. For you, thinking is dominant. Mm -hmm. And you support thinking with doing. So while I'm out here feeling and doing, you're thinking and doing in response to what you think. But for you, feelings are repressed. And I think that that has helped me so much because it has, it is not thinking as in like the three numbers that are thinking dominant are smarter. It is that when my brain spins out, that doesn't happen to everybody. <laughs> not everyone has this thing that, that you can't stop thinking forward or backwards or that is thinking dominant people. But it also means that your thinking is more productive than mine when I think. Ah, okay. Right. The fact that I'm thinking repressed doesn't mean I don't ever think. It means, frankly, for twos, that what we think about most is relationships when there are all these other things we need to be thinking about. So triads in the Enneagram are determined by which is dominant, thinking, feeling, or doing. Stances in the Enneagram are determined by which is repressed, thinking, feeling, or doing. Okay. I don't think you can assign numbers to children 
effectively and accurately. I think they ultimately need to have that journey on their own. I think we don't know all the circumstances and they don't know how to communicate them. And so I have been pretty strong on, yep, you you need to just work on your number and yourself as a parent. And that will be enough for you to parent well. My children suggested to me that they agree it's not possible to know what a child's number is, but that they do think it might be possible to know what stance they're in. Mm. So I spent a good deal of time, like two years, observing the children I know and stories about children. And it did seem fairly clear to me that parents who have done some work, I don't mean just Enneagram work. I, I, you know, I think the Enneagram is great. And I think it's just one thing. And it's way better if you use it with other wisdom and other practices and other disciplines. And I do think it's possible uh, for those parents who are enlightened, you don't have to be an Enneagram master, to know whether or not their children are thinking repressed, doing repressed, or feeling repressed. Okay. And I don't think they can ferret out what number they are within that, but I don't think they need to. And so if it is our lifelong work for me to bring up thinking and you to bring up feeling, then we would do well to start simply asking the children, what do you think about that? Well, how do you feel about that? Mm. Well, what do you want to do about that? Oh, and that's great. Yeah. I think that's enough. Because then you can kind of know which one they're less dominant in and you can help them even starting so early to grow in the one that isn't as natural for them. Exactly. That's it. Exactly. Suzanne, that's brilliant. So like, because as a kid, I would have never, I never talked about my feelings. Right. Like I just, I didn't at all. (laughs) Well, and when you learned it, when you learn to use two of the three centers, then you kind of make it, right? You can make it in the world using two. That's right. The problem is, those two then are overworked and that's one of the reasons that we're tired all the time. And that's one of the reasons we have so much trouble with a spiritual practice. Mm. Wow. Okay. See, this is, this is exactly why you're my hero and all this Suzanne, and why we <laughs> wanted you here is uh, this is the stuff that will get our friends listening, excited about learning the Enneagram for themselves and for their people because it just brings peace to our lives and makes us better at being humans. I, I like to often say that one of the reasons to do counseling and one of the reasons to do self-reflection and, and really work on yourself is not for you. It's for the people who have to live with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so you can bring your best self to relationship. Sure. And I think, you know, um, uh, when I wrote The Road Back to You with Ian Cron and um, The Road Back to You, that title uh, actually came to me in the woods in Colorado. Oh, wow. And one of the things I liked about it was that it, it was about finding my way back to who I was before I did anything wrong and who I was before I did anything right. Mm. It's about finding your way back to an innocence that's lost for all of us too early. And the Enneagram really really helps with that. And when I wrote The Path Between Us, I wanted that title because a path between us says it, it's a path for both of us to walk. 
toward one another and away from one another at times until we can join for a time on the same path headed the same way for the same purpose. That was my next question was the path between us has been, I mean, the road back to you was so helpful. And I I feel like that's such a great book for people to, to, for anybody to read because it gives so many details about every number. But the path between us has been incredibly helpful to me because the whole thing is how you relate to other people. Is that the way you want, you would want that described? It's how you relate to others. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It has been so helpful to me as a seven to, to even read the seven, but when a new person, a new man comes into my life or even a new friend yeah. and I'm, while there's a lot of variety in humans, I can still go, okay, if he communicates like a five and he has self-identified as a five, then it would behoove me to read this chapter again and it, because is there any numbers that won't work together? Is there any numbers that are just impossible to be partners in business or in life? Absolutely not. It's just a matter of understanding one another. And, you know, one of the best things you can do in a new relationship is hand the path between us to whoever that person is and say, would you please read about sevens? This is such a, a good way for me to tell you who I am in a short amount of time. Oh, okay. Yeah, I haven't I haven't had the guts to do that yet, but I do like that idea. <laughs> Dear sir, please read about being a seven. It'll make it, I promise you, this will be easier for you if you will <laughs> learn some of me. Exactly. And very, very few people can read about any number and walk away with no interest in what their number is. Mm-hmm. That's right. Right. That's it's really like, true. well, who am I? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So the path between us is for people that are listening. One of the ways I, that's easy for me to remember is the, the road back to you is orange. The path between us is green. Yes, it is. And I love that because the green made me think so much of growth of there. It is important to self be self-aware and to identify who you are and work on yourself. But man, there is some growth in, and now I will work on getting better in relationship. I think we all, no matter where we stand, I think we all are really struggling right now with political rhetoric and difference and all of that. And a young woman came up to me, Joe and I went to church a couple of weeks ago and afterwards we went out to eat and a young woman came up to me and she said, are you Suzanne Stabile? And I said, I am. And she said, well, do you mind if I visit with you for a minute? And her mom came up behind her. And as it turns out, she knew Joe from our church. And uh, I said, I'd love to visit with you. Tell me about yourself. And she said, well, I work uh, in Washington for the attorneys general. Oh, wow. And I thought, oh, boy, do I want to teach them. Mm. <laughs> right. right. Give it's me like, eight hours. I'll take, yep. Exactly. I'll take any inroad I can get, literally any inroad I can get, to talk to politicians and decision makers about the difference in the people that they represent and in the people that they're going to encounter. Because the faster people move and the busier they are, the more they fall into the assumption that we're all the same. And we're just not. We're just not. And I I don't think we're going to get anywhere, really, until we learn respect for difference. And I think the reason there's so much um, energy around the hot button issues um, like uh, politics and gender and uh, money and all, all of that is because people don't know nuance 
and the nuanced difference in who we are. And so they just keep hitting the same old, why don't you see like I see? Why aren't you like me? Because I'm right and you're wrong. And the Enneagram just gives you understanding more of people than that and just helps you see the the beauty of the variety versus assuming we're all the same and everyone's doing what they're doing for the same reason I do it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Or not doing it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for reasons that aren't good enough or... Um, yeah, it's just, it's just a conversation. And for me in romantic relationship, it's been so helpful because I think he is not scared of the same things I'm scared of. Right. So his communication is not out of a place of fear that no one's going to take care of him. Right. And so you need to figure out what, you know, even in communication going like, oh, he's afraid of something totally different. How can I help you know that sentence, I think you may have said this too, Suzanne, that you've said to me before that that quote that we're all walking each other home. Right. And so for me in romantic relationship, it's very helpful to go, okay, I understand if you identify as this number, I understand some of your motivations as I've learned you and learned your number. How can I help walk you home? I do think that's part of it. And let's just take that a little deeper. You don't look afraid. Mm-mm. From the outside, you don't appear to be afraid. And not only uh, is somebody afraid of things that are different than what you're afraid of, but they have no idea that you're afraid of anything. Because sevens don't read very afraid? Absolutely not. Right. Because you reframe everything immediately. (laughs) Because everything's fun. Sure. And so uh, the fact that you're in the fear triad with five and sixes is a surprise to everybody. Mm. They get it that fives are afraid and they get it that sixes are afraid, but they don't get that you are. And it's because... You've learned to manage your fear in two ways, with a smokescreen of activity mm-hmm. and with reframing everything in real time. And so you reframe things that you're afraid of so quickly. You reframe things that make you sad so quickly. Nobody gets to walk with you in that. And so we don't know what's happening. Yeah, it often happens that my closest friends and family will learn about uh deep pain I've experienced when they read the book about it afterwards. That's right. Particularly my first few when I wasn't as active in getting healthy and wasn't as active in being the healthy side of my number. Now it's, it's getting better, but still it's, and and part of it is always going to be that way because I reframe so quickly. Yeah. And you know, another thing that I've thought about in relationship to you a lot lately is that Uh, And a lot of people don't know anything about orientation to time with the Enneagram. Mm -hmm. But three sevens and eights are their orientation to time is the future. Fours, fives, and nines orientation to time is the past. And ones, twos, and sixes orientation to time is the present moment. So that that one piece of information is a game changer in relationship, right? Right, because if I'm talking to someone who thinks about the past more than they think about the future we're worrying about two different things and we're excited about two different things. That's exactly right. And your orientation to time uh, in your early books is far more focused on the future than in your most recent book Yes, where you're dealing with more of what's happening in the present moment in real time that brings me joy and what causes me fear and what elicit sadness. Well, of course, as you do to me, Suzanne, I have never thought about that. (laughs) You should read all of Annie F. Downs' books as they are a journey (laughs) from unhealth towards. (laughs) That's right. If you want to be a healthy, well, now, Annie, I'm not kidding about that. So let me talk about that for a minute. You're, You're kidding. I'm not. 
So a big recommendation that I have for people is that they find somebody who over time has written more than one book. Oh, wow. Who is their Enneagram number. Oh, interesting. Then they read those books in the order they were written. 20 years ago, I had been aware that Henry Nowen was a self-identified two on the Enneagram. Mm-hmm. And I decided one day on in my car on the way to teach an event that I was going to read everything he wrote in the order that he wrote it so that I could look at somebody else's journey who sees like I see. So I didn't know that Henry Nowen had written 42 books when I publicly (laughs) said that I was going to read all of them. But I did. It took me almost two years. Wow. And it was a game changer for me. Now, I have reduced that for other twos to suggest that they read um, just his journals. Okay. Because it's all there. It's just all there. And... Uh, I know that you're friends with Luke Norsworthy, yes. and I think Luke's books do the same thing. Yeah, show the progression. Right, for sevens. And uh, I, don't, I don't think you can do better than read Knox McCoy if you want oh, to I understand. Five. Well, he's a five all the way through. Mm, okay. And when you see it in somebody else, it's easier for you to recognize it in yourself. Mm-hmm. Man, Suzanne, that would be such an interesting list for you to build for us of, I mean, in all your spare time, but you know, and I'll pay for it someday, you know, <laughs> sell it to us. But if you gave everyone a list of here's some, here's some one authors to read, here's some, you know, I just think that sure. would be, but again, let me, let us buy it. Don't give it to us for free. Let us buy it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Don't you know, I'm all about free. what I've got. So let me go off the top of my head and see where we get. Okay. Parker Palmer is a three on the Enneagram. And he, if, if you haven't read Parker Palmer, let your life speak is just extraordinary. But for people my age who listen to your podcast, mm-hmm. uh, Parker Palmer's new book, uh, On the Brink of Everything, is so great and so three. It's okay. so three. Okay. Jamie Ivey's a six mm-hmm. on the Enneagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just recorded a podcast with Rachel Cruz yesterday, oh. and she's such a three. She's such a three. You know, she's one of my best friends in life, and she is such oh, a Oh, I don't know that. Yep. She's such a three, right? Yep. She's so lovely, yeah. Yeah. Why miss that? Mm-hmm. Why would we miss reading people who who can be, if we allow it, a mirror for us? Mm. I don't think we should miss that. That's brilliant. So um, I'll have to work on the rest of the list. I'm I'm not quite sure of who I want to suggest. No, that's great. Well, yep. As soon as, whenever you have one of those, we'll we'll happily share it. But all right, I think Thank that's you. so helpful. I just think, yeah. I, and it also for me, and this would be another reason we I want to do this any a summer is I so enjoy getting to know my friends better. And when I read about other Enneagram types or learn about other Enneagram types, it gives me questions to ask them about them specifically. You know, we just uh, lost a a prophetic voice in the world that I'm uh, terribly sad about when Rachel Held Evans died. Right. Yes. And uh, Rachel was also a three who um, I think because of the line she shares with six on the Enneagram was able to give all of us. uh, permission to doubt. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure there's a good spiritual journey that doesn't include some doubt. I and and that doesn't include asking scary questions 
And she did such a good job of that. And mm-hmm. Nadia Boltz Weber is an aide on the Enneagram, and I happened to get to interview her on her 50th, the, right before her 50th birthday. And I've known her for a long time. And I, I said, what is the Enneagram giving you right now as you turn 50? And she said, honestly, it's showing me all of the destruction in the wake of my eightness. Mm. Now, that's, that's profound and very vulnerable for yes. a female eight to say, right? Right. <laughs> I just think those of us who are on this journey have a lot to offer one another if we're honest mm-hmm. about uh, where we get it right and where we get it wrong and uh, what we're afraid of. So as we're going into this month of podcasts just about the Enneagram, can you just give kind of a little bit of encouragement to people of of kind of the stance they should be in this month as we're learning and learning all the numbers? Do you have any like advice as we go into this month? The first thing I would say is think about when you were 20. If you want to hear yourself, if you want to relate to average in your number, then 18 to 20 is the age to look back to. You know, when I teach on college campuses, I also teach for eight hours, but they get their number real fast. Oh, wow. Right. And the reason they do is because they're away from home. And they spend a great deal of time thinking about themselves. And I don't mean that in a negative way. It's just the reality. It's true, right. Yeah. When you're in college, you think about you. You have a lot of time. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and freedom. And you have a plan for how you're going to do everything better than the people before you did it. And when you're in that space, that's a real good look at your Enneagram number. Okay. I would also suggest that people think about how they behave at home because work requires that we don't get to behave just in whatever way we want to. We don't get to do whatever we want to do. And so I would encourage people to think about that. And I would encourage people not to jump too quick, to to listen to the whole series Mm -hmm. before they land too strongly anywhere. But Once you hear somebody talk about that number and you know that's not you, then take note of who you're not before you take note of who you think you are. Oh, that's great. That's super great wisdom. Yeah, kind of going through and going, yeah, this definitely isn't me. Right. So, for example, one of the lines that I teach about eights is eights are energized by conflict. I'm not. No, nor am I. No. So that's not me. Right. That's just not me. Uh, ones have an inner critic, like an internal voice that criticizes them all the time. That's not me. And once I hear that about ones, my compassion for them is over the top because I can't imagine being criticized all day, every day by a voice that nobody else hears that I feel like I have to argue with in my head. Mm. So listen for things like that. Those are, those are things where you can go, oh, that is me. I do that. I've had that voice always. I didn't know anybody else had it. How can people attend one of your eight-hour workshops? Where where can they learn more about that? Uh, well, there are several ways, actually. SuzanneStabile.com will get you everything. But um, my uh, main website is uh, Life in the Trinity Ministry. 
and all programming is there. And we're working really hard to establish hubs in different parts of the country so that people won't have to travel too far to come uh, learn about their Enneagram or their Enneagram number. Sure. I also uh, published curriculum uh, right before the road back to you. It's called the Enneagram Journey. Oh, beautiful. And it's a 12-week journey uh, where I'm on video every week teaching, but there's a facilitator guide and participant workbooks. And we wrote the guide so that the facilitator doesn't have to know anything about the Enneagram to be able to lead the group. Oh, that's great. So anybody, any group of friends can get together for 12 weeks and do this, even if there isn't someone who knows a lot going in. That's exactly right. Oh, that was very generous of you to shape it that way. Yeah. And you can get that uh, on our website and we can't keep them. Uh, They just fly out the door because I think one of the reasons is that that series touches on a little bit of all of the main points of the Enneagram. So by uh, week four, everybody will know their number. Literally, we wrote it with this in mind. Session one would be for me to try to get people to uh, love me enough and find me charming enough to want to do week two. Mm. And I actually teach that curriculum starting with stances instead of triads. Okay. Because it helps people begin to figure out kind of where in the whole system they fit. And so by week four, uh, everybody knows their number. And then after that, uh, we talk a little, go a little deeper into triads, a little deeper into stances, uh, some care and transformation, some work around relationships. It's kind of uh, touches everything there. And then you can figure out what you want to learn more about. Brilliant. So of course, I want you to come see me somewhere. But if you can't, I want you to know the Enneagram. And I'd like for you to know it some way other than taking a test. Yes. Yes. I'm a big fan on the the assessments can be helpful to you, but please don't just take a test and decide what you are. That's right. (laughs) That is is not the, that is not the right journey that I've ever seen anybody experience. Suzanne, okay. I have one more question for you and then we'll let you go. Thank you so much for making time to do this today. I'm just so grateful for you. Well, let me just tell you, I'm honored. So it's not like I uh, had to make some space. I was excited uh, to have the opportunity. I always love talking with you. So um, thank you very much for asking me. Well, my pleasure. I'm really grateful. Okay, the last question we always ask on the show, because it's called That Sounds Fun, tell me what you do for fun. I am um, perhaps uncharacteristically for my age, just over the moon in love with my husband. Mm -hmm. I just adore him. And if I'm with him, it's good. And I travel so much and he's a, he's head of congregational care in a 16,000 member United Methodist church. Mm -hmm. He has a very big job, lots of young clergy working with him and uh, he loves it. So uh, if I can be with him, kind of whatever I'm doing is good. I love time with my grandchildren and they're particularly fun when they're all together. Mm Mm-hmm. They're very good to one another. They range in age from nine months to 13. Oh, wow. I'm just very thankful for the opportunity to watch them become who they are. And Joe and I uh, love the ocean and we love Italy. 
So if we get to be in either one of those places, we're particularly happy and that's fun too. And to be totally honest, I have a lot of fun doing what I do professionally. Oh, I can tell. I think everybody knows in every interview you do on your podcast, the ones I've heard you in and others, you enjoy this so much. I really do. I I wanted my life to be an offering to making the world uh, a more loving place. And I think it is. And that's fun. I think it is too, Suzanne. Thank you so much. You betcha. All right, friends, let's go. That's it getting us started for Enia Summer. Suzanne is such a wise voice and just really, and to me, in the long run, the Enneagram is a tool that helps us love God, others, and ourselves better. And I am grateful for any tool that does that for me. So I hope you will dive in with us this month. And listen, we do have some surprise, at least one surprise episode drop in in this month that will not be Enneagram. So make sure you've subscribed so you don't miss it. But also stick with us for this Enneagram series. You're going to love the friends that we're going to introduce you to on the show and love hearing their perspective. Same questions for everybody, a little intro about each number, and just a bunch of different people telling us what it's like to be them, which is just awesome. Make sure you grab a copy of both of Suzanne's books. Really, I think The Road Back to You is your best resource to learn and grow as you identify which number you relate with most. And then The Path Between Us is so helpful in relationships with others. So, and in understanding how you do relationship really well too. It has been super beneficial to me. So make sure you grab both of those and make sure you follow Suzanne all over the place. And if you are interested in going to one of her workshops, go to SuzanneStabile.com where you can learn everything. Make sure you sign up and go spend a day with her and really learn and grow and enjoy. She also has tons of places she's been interviewed. She has her own podcast. Our good buddy of the pod, Luke Norsworthy, has had her on his show a couple of times. So definitely go back. If this is getting you excited about learning more, you can listen to her all over the place talking a lot of different sides of the Enneagram. And if you, can, if I can do anything else for you, I'm embarrassingly easy to find Annie F. Downs all over the internet, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. I think that's it for me today. We will see you back here on Thursday where you meet Lee and Jamie, our ones for Ennea Summer. It's going to be great, y'all. I will see you back here on Thursday. Go out and do something that sounds fun to you, and I will do the same. And we'll see you back here on Thursday. <laughs>